0: Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these Northern musicians who performed in Northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I was all of about 12 years old when Ted Wesley's star was rising in the Canadian folk music scene in 1973. A few short years later, I was sneaking into the Saturday afternoon jam sessions in the various saloons in town when one time this guy walked into the bar, dressed in full buckskins and a broad hat pulled low over his eyes, took the stage and just killed the Great Canadian Railroad Trilogy by Gordon Lightfoot. That was Ted. All through the 1970s, CBC Radio would spin Ted's songs and his music became the soundtrack of my youth. Fast forward many years to 2010 or so, Ted returned to Yellowknife to play a few gigs, and I backed him up on the bass. I can still recall the moment when we were rehearsing his song, I Remember, in the hotel room. The hairs on my arm stood straight up, and I was getting all choked up. In that song, he paints many vivid pictures and mentions many names from my youth that I can still relate to. Starting out as musical ambassadors, on the Centennial Barge with their trio Tundra Folk in 1967, to recording three albums between 1972 and 1976 and selling over 70,000 albums in total, to starting the Folk on the Rocks Music Festival in 1980, Ted and Leslie Wesley have created a rich and enduring legacy for the North and for Northerners. Ted's musical career began in the Polish Hall in Edmonton, Alberta, opening for one of the great vocalists of popular music.
1: Well, being raised at Polak, Polaks are kind of a community of their own and uh, because my family loved to sing and play. We always at Christmas time or birthdays, we always gathered together and everybody sang the old traditional Polish folk songs and and stuff. Then I got involved in, a, in, in Polish theatre. And one of my roles was... Uh, this is just before, actually, I met Roy Orbison. <laughs> we opened up for him by doing a little, little skit. My job was to go through the audience. I was a chimney sweep, and I'd be singing out the song, selling my, you know, going through the audience from the, I entered from the rear, you know, through the audience selling selling uh, the chimney sweep. And Then I was I grew older, I picked up the guitar, you and I discovered that uh, if I played music, I'd have a lot more girls. <laughs> <laughs> so I started off in discovery and uh, actually kind of kind of stole my brother's guitar. He bought one, but he never played it. When I went up to Discovery, I took it with me. And I sat there and played myself, and I got the only I met met Leslie, and uh, we sang together quite a bit at home, and then there was a couple of con- uh, competitions, and Andy Steen came on the scene. Can I, can I just stop you sort of there uh,
0: before we get too far? <laughs> you're, you okay. We're pretty fast. You're going back through the Chimney Sweep
1: uh, in Polish Theatre, Roy Orbison, opening for Roy Orbison. Oh yeah, he he followed us because the Polish Hall at that point in Edmonton was the biggest venue there was. And this is before, before the Jubilee Auditorium and stuff like this. What year would that have been? Oh geez, Okay, that my I was probably about 10, 11 years old. So that's uh, fifty-six, something like that. And then, as soon as soon as we finished, Roy Orbison came and did his concert. Wow! Yeah, it was, it was quite something. You're watching him sing live. There's only like I think there, if I recall, there's only three pieces, three instruments with him. I think there was bass, I think there was guitar and drums, and just him and the guitar and voice. And wow, wow, wow. As a
0: young man, probably it
1: wouldn't say in his prime, but I mean, he was... Oh, he was, he prime. was, yeah, he was, he sang so, so well. Yeah. There's a lot sure. of the Polish stuff that I do there, it goes into the falsetto, it goes up into the higher register. So I was kind of really impressed because he was—he was—that he, was his his full voice, right? Did you get to meet him at all? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we we chatted chatted backstage quite a bit. Which is you know kind of you know at that point when you're you're that kid that you know at that age like I mean. You you're in your own little space. <laughs> you don't realize, you know, what's going to happen in the future, right? Yeah. So you just you know, he's just another musician on stage. <laughs> just another
0: night playing yeah. in the Polish hall yeah, in yeah. Uh, Edmonton, Alberta. That's amazing, amazing story You're brush with famous yeah. people
1: that way. It a lot of fun.
0: Okay, yeah, and then you uh you, you hijacked your your brother's guitar and you were up north
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's basically where I got my start. When I, when I started playing, we were still in Edmonton here and uh this one guy in mind, his name's Ignazio Marino, he's an Italian kid. We both uh, sat down, we played quite a bit, and we started doing some songwriting. And uh, we actually t- did pretty good. And th- then I left shortly after that for Discovery. And he went back to Italy for some hmm. crazy amount. <laughs> well, him, uh, yeah, yeah. No, how, did, how did the job at Discovery come to you? I got a job during the summer for Jay Sullivan and Sons, which was as a painter for painting towers, the communications towers. Remember those red and white towers that were 150 feet tall? So that was our job, and we did really well there. So when that job finished, he, the guy gave us an option. My buddy and I, Alex Fazer, who's actually my best man at, at our wedding this is Mr. Sullivan there, he gave us a job. He says, I can send you to Australia. I got workings in Australia. He says, I like the way you guys work. Or I can send you to Discovery. Can you, uh, Shorty Brown and uh, the Precambrian, he had some money invested in that, I guess. And so Ella and I looked at each other. Well, shit, we were only like 15, 16 years old. You still, so, you know, need the mother a little bit, or we didn't want to go too far away from home. So uh, you know, so we both chose Discovery. But well, he lasted to, he lasted uh, about two weeks, and he couldn't stand the north. So he left, but I stayed. And then you know, I moved from Discovery to to Giant and Yellowknife, and. I landed in Yellowknife and uh, started looking for a job. But of course, you know, you had no experience in the mines or anything like this. When I heard somewhere through the grapevine, I think it was Bob Alexon, that told me that uh, if I played hockey, I could get a job anywhere if you were any good. So I ran into uh, George uh, Taylor. From giant and uh he said "Why well, come on out try out well i made the team so i got a job at giant basically the rest is kind of history we started uh you know i met leslie while i was a giant and we got together we got married and we started singing started the tundra folk the original tundra folk what year would that have been
2: well we traveled in 67 on the barge so it would have been it would have been late '66, 60, early '60, oh, '60, early '67, because by summertime we were on the barge with steam. Yeah.
1: But we did a couple of gigs. I think we did. It.
2: Not before the barge. After quite a few after. The barge was our first pain gig. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> She's got a yeah, she way got paid. <laughs> how, how did you get the gig on the barge? There's a talent show at uh, Sir John, oh, or not Sir John, yeah. uh, public school. A talent show. A talent show. And they, they, it was a Northwest Territories talent show. The, the Senders were there competing, and Rick Williams was there he competing, and you played the organ. Three, three of the, the groups from that particular show got invited to play on the barge. Centennial Barge, which is designed to, down south here, they had the Centennial Caravan, the Centennial Train. But we didn't have any trains, we didn't have any roads, So, but we had a good Waters, water yeah. system. So anyway, they were looking for like a, three different categories. Rick Williams won as a single performer. Then we, we won as a, as, a, as a vocal kind of a group. group yeah. Then the Centenaries were more of a dance band. Yeah. Yeah. So we got invited, and the way it worked out for the Centennial Barge, Rick would be playing the organ and basically entertaining the people, having fun on the barge on the Ferris wheel and eating cotton candy. And yeah, and, yeah with and, and as the barge approached, we had the Ferris wheel running because you were floating in, right? And he, he was he rebroadcasting all the sound, blasting it out. <laughs> there were several moments, several villages, several well, little settlements that we stopped at where you know people are freaking out they see this thing coming down the river all these weird noises coming out <laughs> and they're going to pull up the dock i remember I, thi- I think it was fort wrigley it
2: was, river. We were talking was, that, was it john yeah, marie
1: river we pulled in there and the place is deserted
0: yeah
1: you know like, i mean the, the barge pulls in there and we basically have to jump onto the dock and tie ourselves up because there's nobody to help us there you look around and just People staring from behind the buildings <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> then as soon as we docked and stuff, they realized it was human. We were human. <laughs> so, if you can visualize an organ playing out there, being broadcast and echoing off the trees and just filling up the whole valley. <laughs> and finally, he came out there, and uh, and everybody had fun. It was. So where, was where,
0: where did that barge tour start, and how long did it go for?
1: Well, it started off, we are actually in, uh, I think it was Reliance. Started off, didn't, uh, and then went to Hay River, it was like, a Reliance I think was the very first, but it was the pr- like a practice run before Hay River, because Hay River was a little bigger center. And uh, so we basically made our tour on the southern part of the lake, then we stopped at Providence and Simpson, and you know made our way downstream. And uh, by the time we hit Inuvik, the barge had to come back. But we hadn't done the Great Slave uh, around the Great Slave Lake Yellowknife, For example, they want Yellowknife to be the final stop. And so uh, while the barge was coming back, everybody was sent home except for the folk because we were. Mobile enough, and there was three of us, so we could fit into a small airplane. They decided to send us. We were in a Cessna 185 on floats, and Dominic Prinet was our pilot. And uh, we flew across the rest of the Arctic. Wherever we could land, we we stopped and performed for the for the people. What kind of
0: communities? Can you name off a few of the communities? Oh,
1: there's there's only two two settlements we couldn't get into. We went to Hall Beach, didn't we? Went to a we group. went, we went to, you mm-hmm. uh, know, Frobisher, 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 it's was Frobisher. Cambridge way, Bay, Copper Mine. From the lift to Frobisher. the way You yeah. uh, yeah. know, Tuck, Holman Island, Panger Tongue, Joe Haven, Baker Lake, Rankin Inlet, you basically name them. There's only a couple of settlements that we couldn't get into. How long, how long did it take you to do that? Tour well, about it, like it, it two it's about two weeks. Yeah. Two and a half weeks. Because yeah. that's the length of time it took for the barge to make it back upstream.
0: Yeah. That's that's an incredible tour that you guys did in the in the airplane for that day. Oh. the amount Because I've flown over almost like that. That's like like we've said to a lot of people. That's a North is just like, it's vast, and that's an understatement, and, and you guys are in a 185.
1: Oh yeah, and Dominic was such a, such a tremendous, tremendous pilot.
2: I'm trying to think, we were in one community, pad where I think it was Hall Beach, and for some reason or other, the next community, Dominique had to go ahead and take our equipment, our guitars and stuff, and take our suitcases and come back for us, for some reason or other. And, and he was a long time coming back, because the weather started to suck in. So years later when Ted recorded Bush Plane, I mean that was so moving to me when the, you know, the line that says I see you know, now that pretty beach crap looking for a hole to fly on through, well that d- d- dominant was, it was a but it was the same feeling and I'll never forget that plane coming through the clouds and they're, oh, oh my yeah. god, you know, because I mean we were, f- we were from the big city of Yellow right, it's yeah. kind of like we're stuck out way out here.
0: I was going to say at that time of year we're talking the end of August here. Yeah, are yeah, talking the August the and summer, yeah, yeah. yeah, high yeah. north sort of summer, high yeah. north summer. The storms and the fog from the ocean
1: everything like that. you can get socked in for you know days if want, yeah. a week. You but know. he was a, he
0: was yeah.
2: just a great guy and a very skilled pilot. And in like
1: well, in those days yeah, you yeah, were you fly by the everywhere. seat of your pants kind of thing. You know, you yeah. had to fly a visual. Had to know your had to know your stuff. Yeah. So that was. <laughs> Quite a few memories. So well, well received in the community, though. I mean, people oh really oh yes, yes, totally loved it. And yes. at the same time, this is when I was, you know, because we performed, and the community gathered, we came across other musicians that played, you know, but yeah. they were stuck in their local communities. But you know, everybody was different because they, they had, there was no cross reference with anybody. So I started remembering people and taking names down. This is actually the, the beginning of the Folk on the Rocks type thing. So
0: yeah. You got to make it back to Illinois for that, that final show? For
1: the oh, well, of course. course. Yeah. Yeah. We had to close and we were flying high, boy. I tell like you. That. Oh, yeah. By, by that time, everybody had got, you know, they'd been singing together. Everybody got tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And things came, became easier. So when we got to Yellowknife, we were we were already pretty accomplished, pretty confident, confident bunch. Nice.
2: And I think the centenaires ended up with a big dance. Like I, oh yeah, of course. the dance, it was packed.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, so where, yeah. did, where did the venue happen? I mean, that would have been again, again the end of August, right? Was it outside or was it inside? Well, it was inside.
1: It was well, Rick Williams, uh, we, we actually, it was Sir John, I think, it was we, yeah. we played at Sir John. Yeah. But, you know, we had celebrations there at the barge dock, it was like a big carnival type thing, and the life was a lot bigger, so, you know, we set up at the Sir John. Sir John Franklin. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, Rick came and played his organ there for a mm-hmm. little bit, and then we came and did our thing, and then there, the chairs were cleared, and— Big dance, yeah. And big, big dance.
0: They were such a good band.
1: Well, Tommy Hudson, yeah, was just, yeah, was awesome. yeah, really good players in yeah.
0: in, in that yeah. band. And again, that's a whole chapter uh, of uh, or, or or an event or whatever that I talk to people about. And it's like they're going, "What? <laughs> you know, they can't even imagine something like that happening." Yeah. So. Oh yeah, well,
1: it was all brand new. Like, I mean, who who'd heard of a dance band before that? Yeah. You know, yeah, there was the barge
0: going up <laughs> <laughs> the Mackenzie River with a Ferris wheel yeah. <laughs> on it. Yeah, three okay. bands, you know? yeah. Well, you yeah. yeah. um, Amazing,
1: and you got such a cross culture of the different uh, you know, wherever we stopped, who knows the polka, but <laughs> you start playing, yeah. playing something like that, and people respond in different fashions, and it's beautiful.
0: Okay, so we're we're still in the, the late 1960s here, yes, uh,
1: playing in Yellowknife and in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in between there, there was a couple times I this is when I I can't remember, when did I travel with Hodgson and us?
2: That was early 70s as well, because I remember Nhani was a baby, so I always go with my kids as ages, you know, when I'm to <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking, uh, it, the, watching the film last night, the Commissioner's Ball was 73, remember? And it was before that. It was just before that ball. So early, very early 70s, Pat very early 70s. Ted recorded um, his first album, Straight North, in November of 72, and that album, I don't know if you're recording this, just yeah. to give it background, that album, Straight North, came out the very day that they found Martin Hartwell, the same day. Yeah. that We premiered that album in the hoist room, invited guests or whatever, and we, that's when Ted showed it on the slide show. some of the slides you saw last night and that, that was the premiere of that album. But that was, that was huge news that day because they had found Martin Hartwell alive, you know, and, um, and so Bush Plan, of course, became, yeah, became that, a, the most played song, I think, really. and, on the local radio. Right? Yeah. So that was November of 72. November of 73, uh, Black Plies was recorded, came out. And 1975, North of Canada. So those are the those are the timelines. If that will help you at all,
0: those three years are sort of almost at the sort of apex of the time that I'm looking at. Exactly. In in, Mm -hmm. in, in all of that. So you're, I mean, you're kicking around Yellowknife and you're starting your family. And are you working any jobs? Ted was singing at the hoist room.
2: Okay. Like he started singing in the hoist room about nineteen. Basically, the Folk on the
1: Rocks kind of disbanded because it was. Uh,
2: folk on the Rocks was. Or not Folk on the later, Rocks, I'm sorry, folk. Uh, Thunder Folk.
1: Yeah. I, I'd gone through several groups and just nothing yeah. seemed to stick. Stick. There yeah. was one, first of all, it started off with Andy Steen, then it became uh, uh, Donna Hill, uh, Olive and Gordon, Gordon yeah. and my brother Frank, and, and the Billy Sylvester. Billy Sylvester, mm-hmm. then Ian Dow, <laughs> and then just me,
0: <laughs>
1: and just Ted. And that's when I was started singing, doing gigs in the Hoist Room. Were you playing like six nights a week, or just well, playing six nights a week, uh, four hours a night? Wow!
0: Yeah,
1: start off you know uh, six thirty or something or seven thirty, and play till. most of the the time, till the bar closed and then even later. (laughs) Heady heady
0: days in the hoist room uh, in those years with the government just coming up and probably more of the bureaucrats moving up from Ottawa and stuff like that. Did you
1: uh, get to know uh, the owners of of that place, the Finison family? Finison, of course, yeah. Mm, Uh, Doug was uh, kind of a huge supporter of mine after we decided to—did he have money in the—yeah, he had— Doug,
2: a, Yeah, Doug Finlayson, who owned the Hoist Stream, of course, and Ted was playing there, and he sang some northern songs, and Doug was in one night for a drink, and he was talking to us, and he said, you should record these songs, and I said, yeah. Well, that, actually, I no, said,
1: no, it was he, a, the way he started off. If somebody requested, where can I, I get, can get these songs? Oh, well,
2: where can I get these songs?
1: And I looked at Doug, who just happened to be close by, I yeah. said, yeah. So I looked at Doug, and he says, yeah.
2: No, he said that they, they so should we be went recorded, investigated. and I said, yeah, and he says, how much money do you need? I said I have no idea. So he said well you look into it and let me know. So I did and got a hold of the studio in Edmonton where Ted had, had some connections and I told him he said just run yeah, us a Yeah,
1: the old Nomads, remember there yeah. used to be a big group out of Edmonton? Mm-hmm. Nomad Damon Studios is Nomads spelled yeah, backwards. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so Doug just said no these need to be recorded and he just sponsored it, period, just like that. And then the second album, which was recorded a year later, uh, Pat Carney stepped up to the plate and did the same thing. We need to get this stuff down. So, Doug sponsored the first one completely, and then Pat helped with the second one and the third one. So, it was more, uh, it was more, um, it wasn't so much of an attitude, oh, let's record these songs, we can all get rich. It was more an attitude, this this stuff needs to be put down and not lost. So, it was like, uh, so of course, Straight North came out and it was just like uh, we had an interview with As It Happens on CBC Radio. They called actually and Ted wasn't home so they chatted with me for a little bit but they really wanted to talk to him because he was the first musician in the Northwest Territories ever to be signed by a major label. So it was big news at that time. He was 27
0: years old. So Straight North was, you were signed with
2: London Records. London. Yeah, so yeah, so it was it was I mean it was all over the north and then people wanted albums so we started getting we had an initial pressing I think I can't even remember how many but then all the northern stores wanted and uh, it came out I believe it was early November it was the day they found Martin Hartwell that's right so by yeah. Christmas we were able to get those records in the stores all over
0: the north perfect timing. <laughs> it was perfect timing
2: and we and people stepped up to the plate it was just like yeah I'm flying up the Joy Haven. I'll take some you know it was it was the old north communication thing at the time yeah. and um and so we had these albums and of course Ted would give them out to anybody who'd buy them in here <laughs> you know it's like it wasn't a, it wasn't a business yeah it was for sure. like you know you know what musicians are like oh you like my music sure you have some
0: this concludes part one of the Musicians of the Midnight Sun podcast interview with Ted and Leslie Wesley. You can scroll through the show notes to listen to part two. I'm Pat Brayton. Thanks for listening.